2: This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington
3: Correspondent. Major Garrett.
1: Yes, CBS. Yes, hi,
3: Major Garrett. Major, that's
1: nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes.
0: Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. Major Garrett, host of The Takeout. Thanks for joining us. Out and about again, McIntyre's, our host restaurant. We were here once before... Our guest this week and the topic this week, a book written by none other than Mark Leibovich. The book is titled Thank You for Your Servitude. He will explain what that's about in a minute. Mark, how are
3: you? Major, thanks for having me back. I'm a friend of the takeout. You been, are a friend of the before, takeout. You are so. a distinguished member of our hall of participants. I am very Have you been on the pr- show before? Proud to be a member of the hall of participants. So That's Mark Leibovich's
0: career includes Washington Post, New York Times, San Jose Mercury News. For those who are really fine granular analysts, yeah. New York Times Magazine, currently now at
3: the Atlantic. Correct. What is your book about? Um, my book is about. Well, it's. It re- people think it's a Trump book. It's called yes. Thank You for Your Servitude, Donald Trump's Washington and the Price of Submission. Full title with subhead. Um, but it is basically the story of Washington over the last five or six years as told through the perspective of the Republican Party and how they ca- kowtowed to Trump. So basically it is another Washington book. It's a sequel to a, well it was originally intended as a sequel to a Washington book I did s- nine years ago which mm-hmm. is called This Town. But it wound up becoming about what's happened to the Republican Party and what it's been like to live in Washington and be around the White House uh, for the last six or seven years, which I know we've all done, you know, sort of, we've all been through. Exactly.
0: So. Would you agree
3: that uh, you, if you had the choice, would prefer to
0: read this history than live it?
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize. I mean,
0: that's it, how I sort of put myself to sleep every night. God, yeah. I wish I wish I what? I, what? What do I wish for? Well. It's it's it's, a, it's it's an active time, it's a historic time, but it feels, at
3: times to me, exhausting. Well, you do sort of wonder, like, how will history be treated, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I don't pretend to, like, think I'm a historian or this is for the historical, right? I mean, I'm trying not to use, like, big highfalutin terms, mm-hmm. like, rough draft of history, that kind of thing. But... You know, you sort of wonder, I mean, if, if two sides can't agree on, like, a crowd size on Inauguration Day, right. if there are alternative facts over here, all, you know, regular facts and over genuine here. Genuine facts? Yes. Like, how will history be adjudicated right. in, like, a hundred years? Like, is that even going to be a thing anymore? So. So, what you just said, I'm going to take
0: some issue with, having just read the book this weekend. I do think you wrote this book, Tell Me If I'm Wrong. To chronicle what people said at this period of time, so when the inevitable period comes, when they deny it, because you and right. I both know they will.
3: They, of course. Yeah.
0: All of the suck ups to the Trump world and the Trump mania and attitudes will, at some point in their political careers, deny it. Absolutely. They will attempt
3: to. Yeah,
0: and it feels will. to me like you wrote this book to say, one
3: place on one shelf or many shelves, I it's will not all allow you to do that. Yeah. I would hope that, you know, there will be many shells for many different books, but leading with this one. Um, No, I I completely. And, you know, my first hope, and I assume it's your first hope and the first hope of any serious people in our profession is that at some point there is some kind of course correction back to a serious discussion of the facts, a serious discussion of what it is to be American, patriotic, Mm -hmm. decent... Truthful, I mean, you know, these were all things we took for granted even 10 years ago when we were despairing over, oh, you know, the swamp is out of control.
0: Right. So. Now,
3: you wrote something in the book that I wrote in my book, Mr. Trump's Wild Ride. We
0: both came to the same conclusion, which is this, because we all went to a lot of Trump rallies. Yes. I met more than 100. Arden Fari, my beloved producer, probably 120. But that's uh, a lot.
3: It's a lot. And more than you I and do.
0: I heard this, and you wrote it in the book, and I wrote it in my own way. Trump supporters, and I don't disparage them, say whatever your Mark Leibovich, Major Garrett, picking you in question about some fact that Trump right. got wrong he right. speaks a bigger truth right. and to them it was deeply meaningful right how much have you given thought to that process what that means and the fact that from one election to the no- to another Trump got 10 million more votes Absolutely. after people observed what you chronicle in yes. these
3: 5 years yes um great question I, I would not discount even today you know as i would not have discounted in 2016 the degree to which they hold in contempt the quote unquote you and me? of the 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 media, the media elites the academic elites right. the corporate elites the, corporate elite. the you know the coastal people yes. all, not all coastal i mean a lot of big cities college towns mm-hmm. you know between the coasts but there's a type um, mm-hmm. The type tends to be Democrat, you know. I mean, back in the Reagan days, like the they were perceived to be more conservative, like mm-hmm. Goldman, like you know, academia. Even, I mean, college-educated people were overwhelmingly Republican. That's right. that sort of flip. So, I don't know. I, I do think that to some degree, Trump was a convenient kind of blunt object for a lot of people.
0: And he was known to them by his enemies, and that mattered yes. a
3: great deal to them. Maybe it mattered the most to them to some degree. If, yeah.
0: if there was a reaction and you talk about these reactions in the book quite frequently yeah. that reaction that tectonic sense of oh the things are shifting and ang- people are angry at Trump therefore he must be on to something right whatever the particulars are was me were meaningless and i think Absolutely. that's where the whole election denial thing has gone the particulars yep. have completely vanished completely. nobody can cite anything anymore they're no. all debunked but it doesn't matter yep. the enemies matter the and enemies the enemies matter. including me yep. academ- academics yep. election officials yep. we're all part of somehow this insidious set of voices yep. that they perceive threaten them at a very
3: primal level. Very primal level. Yeah. And and look, it's a... Well, and that's a fact. It, it is a fact, and it's a... And it it's
0: influencing our politics.
3: In a big way. What I focused on in the book and what really offends me, n- none of what you just said offends me necessarily. I mean, I, I, I you know, like you said, we, we're not disparaging Trump supporters or, not. you know, we're not meaning to. I mean, what they have I, their they have their feelings they have their perspectives yes. and they have a vote and they've exercised yes. it and yes and they're you know their fellow americans uh, i resent came to resent and wanted to focus on the people who knew better the people in washington the republicans almost overwhelmingly actually overwhelmingly in washington all of whom knew better who will privately tell us this is nonsense this is complete bs and can you say bs on the takeout? yes you can um, and, With gusto. And then when the camera comes on, when the mic comes on, right. it's like, you know, all hail Mr. Trump. I mean, he is our guy. We or, love him. Or I
0: didn't see it. Or I, I don't have a comment. It. Or I can't really relate to that. they or, literally or some, running yes. away.
3: Literally. I mean, you've been in those situations. Where, where Republican senators, all, again, all of whom knew better, are literally running away, pretending to be on the phone. Um, It was sad, and it was cowardly, and that's what the focus is. Pick your metaphor.
0: Lights on, lights off, mic on, mic off. It's essentially two separate conversations Republicans would have with you. (laughs) A private conversation that was florid, full of specifics, revulsion. (laughs) And then, then there's this separate, publicly consumed conversation Yeah that contains none
3: of that none.
0: and betrays a sense of fidelity that doesn't actually exist
3: in any intellectual sense. It is exhausting. It is really exhausting. I mean, you know, also, you know, luckily a lot of this is on tape. Yes. I mean, a lot of these people actually did run against him in 2016. They would say, oh, I've evolved. I've come to like him. I golfed with him a few times. Oh, I realize he's a great guy. I mean, that's Lindsey Graham's thing. I mean, but... No, they all know better. And what's interesting, and I don't think I've talked about this, you look at, like, Marco Rubio, you look at Kevin McCarthy, when they actually do talk about this publicly, they look so sad. Mm-hmm. They look miserable because they, on some level, and it's probably pretty far down at this point, but on some level they know what they're doing. At least Stefanik. That's the other thing. She always, I mean, Elise Stefanik... You know, could be a, I don't know, she could be majority leader of the House or, you know, the number three or the whip, whatever Contracts it is. Conference chair, something Contracts else. Chair, she'll get a big job, right. potentially, if things break right. You know, like um, John Kennedy of Louisiana. She went to Harvard. I mean, Rubio, I remember, you know, when I first met him in 2010 and then wrote about him when he was right. running for president. Great aspirational new under- face of the I Republican mean, Party. I mean, tremendously charismatic. I mean, mm-hmm. he, his story about the danger of... Charismatic leaders and tyrants, based on his parents' experience with Castro, right. was so, like, it was so Reagan esque. I remember just being blown away by it. Reagan esque,
0: resonant, and relevant. Except, except, all of it. except, except things have changed. Mark, let me 100%. interrupt you. Let me yeah. run to break. We're going to do that here in a second. McIntyre's is our host restaurant. Always happy to be out and about. We have a lunch menu in front of us. Mark will decide what he wants to do uh, during the break. Yes, more on the book. Thank you for your servitude. When we come back, I'm Major Garrett, Segment 2, coming right at you.
1: Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug? Ignored a leaky faucet? Pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects. But there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom.
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. I'm Major Garrett McIntyre's our host restaurant. Mark Leibovich our special guest. So, folks, if you don't know or have experienced the pleasure of reading Mark Leibovich, one thing you need to understand about him in Washington is there's a masochistic quality to what Mark Leibovich brings to his biographies. People want to be skewered by him. They want to be lanced pierced completely through, run through by the rapier that is Mark Leibovich's observational it's a fun approach.
3: Book, it's a fun book read. It's a fun yes. beach read. No,
0: seriously. Yeah, people yeah. people want to be in this. They do. And they're like mortified if they're not such a grandee in this town that they're not getting mm-hmm. the
3: Leibovich treatment. You've yeah. learned this, right? Yeah, and there's a whole group of people who snub me whenever I see them in public to prove it. Right. <laughs> there truly is. However...
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's part of because the Because one of the things that you wrote in this town is that Washington is a place and had become a place not only with sort of low-grade garden-variety hypocrisy, but it had become yeah. an institutionalized factory of phoniness. Absolutely. Now, of course, Trump said much the same thing. He did.
3: What's the difference, or is there one? You know, it's—OK, okay, so, by the way, I mean— People have been running against Washington and sort of like saying, God, I'm going to come in and clean up Washington or I'm going to hate on Washington. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the city exists to be despised, which is why, you know...
0: It's a grand American tradition. It's a a grand
3: American tradition, which is why Farmer Joe from North Dakota rails on Washington, Mm -hmm. gets into the Senate or gets into Congress, and then never leaves. Right? Right. I mean, either they don't leave their office or they they get a lobbying job or something like that. And then they'll maybe say in their press release, so-and-so will be splitting time between Washington and Fargo, which means that 99.9% of his time will be in Washington, maybe... He'll go visit his mother that other once a year in Fargo or something. But no, you're right. And and but what Trump did is that he and and so this town was kind of. I mean, in retrospect, it's kind of a book about misdemeanors. It's like, oh, look, a Democrat (laughs) and a Republican are going into business together, right? They're lobbying. Yeah, right. It's like a comedy of manners. And but so, but it was. um, But no, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, in retrospect, the, the stakes were much lower. At least they felt much lower. I mean, now we literally have people saying, you know, we're in a fight for our democracy, and I don't think they're being overheated. I mean, you saw what happened January 6th. Mm-hmm. We saw what happened, you know, for, for five years. So, But, you no, know, Trump took that out, like, in a big way, and he just made it, he just named names, and he was nothing but contempt, and he did it much more viscerally than Obama or Reagan or anyone did. And the fact that that took hold tells you what about America right now? You know, here this is an really, interesting, great Because w- there's
0: one thing to say, he said it. Yeah. But you and I have seen the receptivity up close, right? Not just one place. Oh, absolutely. Dozens and dozens, and as you say in the yep. book, and as I live this for 16 months yep. on the road, people come from miles around, streaming, Blocks. Blocks. streaming threads of traffic,
3: yeah, for hours. Hours. No, exactly. And you're thinking. Okay, then you get back to your hotel room. You turn on, you know, some. He's like, "Oh, the poll is Hillary's up by ten, or Hillary could win North Carolina, or even Missouri." You know, like it's like or Ohio. Texas, Texas, (laughs) she's throwing new money into, you know. Yeah, Ohio and so so it it felt out of whack, right? It was Mm -hmm. like, okay, we're we're in this bubble and we're watching this, and but you know, there was always a sense for people who had gone to like a few Trump rallies Mm -hmm. or who were certainly covering the Trump campaign that are we really me- is this being measured because this right. is unlike anything I'd ever seen the size of the crowds mm-hmm. uh, the, you know the, the frequency of the desperation to get in um, so yeah I mean and, it and was really and unlike a lot of other political events almost never was there food
0: or water almost no. rarely were there seats usually you stood and yeah. you'd wait for hours. You'd wait for
3: hours? I mean, and the,
0: and the Trump me- would essentially subject his followers yeah. to the least hospitable situations imaginable, and they loved it. Not to mention the press who were following him all over. Get field. up on the
3: mic. Not to mention the press that was following him all over and, you know, subjected to nonstop abuse from the mm-hmm. podium, yep. from the crowd. Yep. I mean, it was pretty menacing, as, as you know. So, no, it was unbelievable. Um, unlike anything I'd ever seen. I mean, I don't have a good read on what that looks like today compared to what it looked like in 2016 2020 Mm -hmm. Uh, you know I don't I haven't been to a Trump rally in a while Mm -hmm. you know you hear anecdotally that maybe the magic is wearing off a little bit but I don't know
0: so what I'm driving at here is a way to try to reconcile all the things you have in the book with the current state of American political discourse because Mm -hmm. at one level I'm as contemptuous as you are, though not as brilliantly written as you put it together, of all the Republicans you talk to, for this duality that they live in. But on the other hand, I'm like, they are realists, they live in a confined world where if they want to keep their job, they must do a certain number of things in order to keep it because things have been reversed. They're not in control any longer and that's what I think is about what you're describing, the helplessness and sadness. They're not in control. Yes ex- Or so they have assumed Or so they have assumed I would, I would so, so if you tell yourself You're not in control Guess what You're not in control Correct they And are, that's what They've told themselves w-
3: That's what they've told themselves I would offer That they are 100% in control mm-hmm. I mean, Liz Cheney is no more Or less pragmatic Than Kevin McCarthy is She has just made a choice Or Elise Stefanik Or, or Steve Or on the or other end Bruce, Mark Sanford Jeff Flay I mean Depending oh. on what side You come down I mean It's amazing I mean You ask like Is it worth the parking space? Is it worth the job? Is it worth not being tweeted about? I mean, what's really depressing is the incredibly high volume of people who are willing to uh, make the choice, like, just to go pure expediency. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons Liz Cheney is, um, obviously she's in big political trouble, but She's, she's willing to lose. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, a novel, what yes, a novel thing. Willing to lose. Yeah.
0: And one thing I think is thematically important about your book is it basically says we've reached the stage after January 6th in which we saw something unimaginable. However, when I read your book, I hear you saying all the whitewashing that began almost as soon as Trump gained momentum yeah. led inexorably to January 6th. Yeah. Because... All of that was a practiced effort to not see what was visible, yeah. to minimize what was harsh and repellent and repugnant, yeah. and in so doing laid the groundwork intellectually,
3: politically, thematically for January 6th. Absolutely, yeah. And. So they're all yeah. complicit. They're completely complicit. And not, okay, even more chilling than that, or as chilling than that, is what he's come back from. You were here, Mm -hmm. like, that two-week period. Republicans were running from him finally. Like, okay, this is the fever break. Okay, he survived the Helsinki press conference. He survived Charlottesville. He survived Access Hollywood. Go down the list. He survived losing the election by 7 million votes on on November, whatever it was, 3rd. 3rd. So now he's coming back from this? I mean, in short order, Mitch McConnell basically games it so that impeachment's going to happen after January 20th, which ensures he's not going to be convicted. McCarthy goes down to Mar-a-Lago on the 28th, like within a few days, McConnell's doing his I will support the nominee thing. Uh, Rick Scott's giving him an award. Gives him a award. Uh, yep. Whatever. All this
0: stuff sto- yeah. study so rehabilitation.
3: Right. And so then the prism the new so now the new Republican platform goes from being whatever Trump wants, which was the official, basically the official platform in 2020, to January sixth didn't happen, and the election wasn't that. It wasn't that bad, and uh, he was screwed out of the election. I don't care how many court cases he lost. I don't care what Bill Barr said or or Chris Krebs or uh, Krebs. Yes, I mean with the whole the whole game. Uh, What Mike Pence said with the whole game, and then said this is basically the Republican platform two years on. And do you find that? seismically depressing? Absolutely. Here's why. Okay, okay. Let me just give you a very clean contrast here or two actually. One, the conservatives in England, okay, like last month decided, all right, enough with this Boris Johnson. We're just going to like, right, you know, we're going to join arms, a few of us are, and we're going to you know, we're gonna speak our truth. Gonna sack him. He's gone. Right. Now, obviously a different system of government. But another contrast that is our system of government, Watergate, okay? Obviously a different time. There was no yes. Fox News when Watergate happened. But the reason Nixon finally left was not because Democrats were like yelling and screaming or not. John because...
0: Chancellor told him
3: to. No. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, well, when you lose Cronkite or when you lose. Yes. Exa- no, it was because Barry Goldwater, one of the most conservative members of the Republican Party, who was then, you know, senator from Arizona, walked up to the Capitol or walked up to the White House with a couple of other Republican leaders of the Senate um, and said, Mr. President. You have lost support. It's time to go. And Nixon, for all of his demons and flaws, had enough shame or had enough good sense or enough patriotism to just say, okay, I'm done. You know, I'm not going to, like, orchestrate an insurrection. I'm, you know, right. God knows what Nixon could have done. He could have told them to, like, buzz off and, I mean, whatever. But he, he hit the pavement. But Republicans stopped Nixon, right. ultimately. We're going to stop right
0: there, head to yeah. segment three. Mark Leibovich is our special guest. The New York Times best-selling book. Thank you for your servitude. More when we come back. I'm Major Garrett. See you in a second.
1: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, 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 Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. From
0: CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. McIntyre's is our host restaurant. Always great to be out and about. Mark Leibovich, our guest. Thank you for your servitude is the book. Number one New York Times bestseller beach read yes but it's a read for the ages folks it chronicles a time we won't soon forget and back to this point about trump supporters uh look they cast ballots in the 2020 election trump increased his vote total from 2016 to 2020 by over 10 million votes that's a fact joe biden beat him by 7 million votes that's a fact Nothing askew happened in the 2020 election to materially affect the outcome. Nothing. I've got a book about that coming out in September. It's called oh. The Big Truth. Oh, all right. I
3: didn't know that. Yes. The Big Truth. The Big Truth. It, it's just, is it Catchy, th- don't you think? No, I like it. You need a big thing. No, that's good. Yes. All right. So we're, it's going to be we're. all about that. All right. And it takes
0: seriously all the various concerns, things that have been raised, and walks you through step by step. So nothing happened that was materially influential on the outcome of the election nothing and we have to get to a point in american life where that can be an accepted truth because if we don't we will no longer have a functioning democracy if you have an orientation to balloting that goes like this when my side wins it's legit when my side loses it's fraudulent we're done yeah and we're inching and the reason i wrote the book is because we're moving in this direction we're and le- it is in unsustainable
3: we're leaping and in that's this the and
0: that's the back third of your book
3: uh, yeah it sort of is right it's it illegitimate no it li- look y- people talk about like and people kind of roll their eyes but norms and traditions and precedents right. it's all based on basic good faith right mm-hmm. and you know- forbearance Forbearance, shared truth, right. intellectual honesty, people... Do, I mean, I don't know. I mean, wh- what if, like, there's, like, a new Brad Raffensperger sitting in, you know, the Secretary of State's office in Georgia in 2020? I mean, I don't know what's his... Deal. I guess he'll probably be still in office. He will mean, be. But there will be other elections... He's got to a- get through the general election, but he... He does. He made it through a primary,
0: which was kind of a reassuring signal that if you to yes. have this argument about what or what didn't happen, Absolutely. the guy who had the proof will be... Factual case one.
3: Yeah, and Brian but Camp. Others are losing. Brian Camp. Others are losing, but there are you know a lot of election deniers across the country yes. who are on ballots who are in a position to win.
0: And I think one of the other points of your book is, if Trump got off that fact-free hobby horse, mm-hmm. they would all give it up. Absolutely. They're only playing this game. Yeah. Because he won't let go, and he because go. he won't let go, they can't let go. Right. Not because it's true, not because something bad happened, but because he won't let it go. And if yeah. I'm going to ask you, yeah. if Trump were to say two sentences, "I'm moving on, I have my issues, but we're done,"
3: yeah, that would end it. It, it would end it. it. And you know, I would argue that if he had done that a year and a half ago, it would have been he would have been politically so much more viable now than he is now. Although he's still pretty viable, mm-hmm. right? But you know, he got all those votes. He could have conceded somewhat gracefully. Um, We had Mick Mulvaney on the show two weeks ago, and I reminded
1: him of a column he wrote in
0: the Wall Street Journal. Didn't age well. Trump... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I said yeah. gracefully
3: and concede. Yeah, no. And he, but, he
0: admitted, I was writing it to persuade him in public.
3: Yeah. Because well, I couldn't talk to him. Audience of one. No, look, I mean, there there are... You and can that's have another all, theme in your yeah. book,
0: this whole idea of audience of one, that you have to play oh, to yeah. this grand master and stroke him in so many convoluted ways, or you yeah. can't possibly get your way.
3: No, there was like... I mean, so Kevin McCarthy is one of the recurring figures in the book, and, and I remember... Towards the end of the book, I'm just sitting there. I guess we were in Bakersfield, where his hometown, (laughs) and every time I would ask him a somewhat Trump-related question or one-six related question, it would just be it would just be body language. He would like hunch his shoulders, he'd look scared, and he keep. Why do you keep asking me about Trump? And the reason it's not that he couldn't talk endlessly about Trump privately um, or to his donors or what have you. It's just that he knew that if he said one word that Trump was not going to like. And it got in the New York Times, where I happened to be writing at the time. You know, he was going to get in big trouble. Could cost him his speakership, and the only thing that matters is his speakership. I'm just going to run some names by you. All right. Paul Ryan. Complicated guy. Uh, Complicit? Big, sure, to a point. You know, again, still on the Fox News board. I think without Fox News, uh, Trump would not be have rehabilitated as many times as he was. So, yeah, that. You know, Ryan, very ambivalent. Um a hero not a hero to the right, not a hero to the left, kind of caught in the middle. I think he's probably very happy to be out of prob- public life right now as much as Mike Pompeo you know, kind of an Eddie Haskell type, you know again, we'll stroke Trump with the best of them um, should I don't know if I can use this, but there's a fast there's a great line in by courtesy of Susan Glaster in The New Yorker, profiled Mike Pompeo, d- comparing him to a heat seeking missile for donald trump's. Can we not say that Rectum, word? Rectum, I think, would be a posterior. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I can't say that enough. It's a clinical term. It's I think a we're clinical okay with term. Clinical terms here but the he's take a smart out. guy. He, he gets mm-hmm. you know he gets the joke. It's depressing. Chris Christie. Oh man, Christie. You know he he was humiliated so many times by Trump. He apparently is going to be sort of like an anti-Trump truth teller type. But I don't think he quite knows what he's going to be like. Chris Christie. Can he
0: be a tr- a truth teller about Trump after all this?
3: I don't think so. But, you know, look, Chris Christie loves the game. He and loves to be around. Loves to be around. Loves, you know, he's kind of a wise guy. I will he's tell you, you a
0: story. Of, uh, yeah. I interviewed Chris Christie on C-SPAN for one of his books. It was, the, it was a book about Kushner and everything yeah, and that hassle. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he said something in the middle of the interview that stopped me cold. He said, I've known Trump for many, many years. Donald Trump is least loyal to the people who are most loyal to him. It's true. Absolutely. And that yeah. had a ring of truth to me. Well, certainly in his so case. So much so that I had him repeat it. I said, I say that again. And he said
3: it yeah. again, flat out. I mean... The, uh, and I think
0: history has borne that out.
3: Yeah, in Christie's case, and probably most in, like, most dramatically. Would you also say Mike that of Henson's the people who have case. been
0: arrested and prosecuted for storming the Capitol?
3: No, because he did no, not... He, he could have been more loyal to he them. He could have been more loyal to them. He could have pardoned them. He could, he could have like, told them, like, don't get in trouble. Don't get arrested. Don't, like, be violent. I mean, again... There's was any number of ways he could have helped them out while he was pardoning, you know, Jared Kushner's father-in-law and you know any number of you know Bannon. Yeah, just the whole the whole the whole the whole crowd. So, um, Mike Pence, there was no more loyal vice president in history. You know, could have been hung. Hate to say it, but you know, might have happened. And I'm not sure Trump would have been all that upset. It's hard to know. It's hard to know. I mean, that's like this is, You get see the thing about writing these. Books and stories is you get into these weird thought experiments, but like, what if that happened? Right. Like, is Trump still viable? I'm not sure. It's but the Fifth it's, Avenue thing. Right. It's
0: hard to know. It's hard to know. And you write in the book that you don't want to try to be an armchair psychologist. Lots of people have tried around right. Trump. They're actually actual psychologists, Absolutely. wrote an entire book about it. Absolutely. The danger of Donald Trump. Yeah, his own But cousin. you can't. As you have been, I think, accurately described, the preeminent anthropologist of what Washington, D.C. is, good and bad, you can't escape the temptation to
3: try to get into this psychological world, have you? Oh, not really I mean, I think it's pretty obvious To be honest with you I mean, like He, he I think I, I always felt like I knew him fairly well I thought, you know Kind of compelling But I can tune him out uh, He's basically harmless You know Whatever He's got his thing Yeah, he became less harmless When he became a birther And that whole thing started mm-hmm. Not harmless um, but then I'm thinking, you know, he's running for president. Maybe he was just playing a part. And, you know, that went away in like two minutes. Like, yep. so, so I don't know. Look, the guy, I, I think he is a, as about as well-known a politician. You know, everyone knows. He's, he's very predictable, I mm. would say. And it strikes
0: me, and you write about this in the book, that on January 6th, he was mesmerized because this was, to his mind, a stupendous Act of allegiance and Absolutely. love for him. And them. he was transfixed by it.
3: Totally. I mean, that was, that to me is the. And case. the
0: underlying moral wretchedness of it, what was happening yeah. institutionally in the country, the guardrails yeah. that were being shattered, vanished from his sense of. Yeah.
3: S- yes. Sight. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Okay, so, you know, obviously entire committees, you know, their entire hearings have been devoted to that however many minutes, the, that few hours when he was just watching. minutes. Yeah, he's watching TV. Um, Stephanie Grisham, who was still working for Melania Trump, at least then, had this, this image of him just sitting there saying, just sort of watching and saying, I'm doing this for me. For me. And to me, that is the lesson here. It's like this little boy in a bubble and it was just... It's, to me it's still chilling to a point you know, because people were dying literally Right,
0: because the powers of the presidency are vast yeah. and when the presidency is me not us, dangers lurk. Oh. Mark Leibovich is our special guest we are out and about, so happy to be out and about again. McIntyre is our host restaurant. We're just going to stick with our Diet Coke this time but you know next week who knows what we're going to eat at the takeout. I'm Major Garrett segment four coming up. CBS News. This is the Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to the Takeout, Mark Leibovich our special guest, the book, New York Times bestseller. I want to mention that. Thank you for your servitude. So, um, Leibovich has a lot of energy and tenacity about him, and he's an ability that far exceeded mine to hang out at the Trump Hotel. Oh, brutal! I would go there occasionally, but I just after the White House,
3: it's hard, right? All
0: hour after hour after hour, it's more e- white e- extending that onto my day. I will freely admit, it was probably journalistically inept for me not to spend more time there, but I, my brother, I just couldn't bring myself you to do it. You were
3: missed. You were <laughs> missed all the time. I will be honest. I, um, and yeah. why was
0: that not only an important place to be, but a metaphorically resonant
3: place oh, to well, be? Well, it was the Republican capital of Washington. It was You'd have the White House staff just going there after God knows what they the were The Treasury
0: doing Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, lived there he for lived a while. He lived there for a he? while
3: it's his new wife with a little literal lap dog in the purse She lived there. Rudy <laughs> had a, fours everywhere. R- Rudy had a suite. He had a regular table at the BLT. The steakhouse um, there, steakhouse, yes. steakhouse, a lot of tourists, um, a lot of, you know, hangers, hangers on. on. A lot yes. of them, And, you know, so, it, it was... Uh, it was Rick's American Cafe. It was like gambling. I mean, it was, it was a racket. And Trump himself would go in. It was the only restaurant. The steakhouse, the BLT Steakhouse at the uh, Trump Hotel, was the only restaurant Trump would and eat in Washington. And confer the
0: majesty of his appearance he, he, upon all who were he, there. He
3: needed the big, applauded entrance, departure. He would pause. It was quite a thing. He would always order the 40-ounce tomahawk steak, shrimp cocktail, fries... Um, Don't forget cake, the Diet Coke. Chocolate cake for dessert and a bucket of Diet Coke <laughs> because, why? The diet. Very important. Very important. You, After diet. that, you've got to have the diet. got to watch this girlish figure. Yes. Yep, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, it was quite a scene. You know, in fairness, like there was, everyone was always posting their stuff on Instagram. Right. And like, so, and Zach Everson, got to give him a shout out. Do you 1,100, I actually feel like I
0: should, he should be a takeout guy. He
3: should be a great, he would be a great, I can't flack him enough.
0: Zach, we need to have him on the show. Zach
3: Everson, I can can give you his contact. Yeah, I I give him a nice shout out in the epilogue, actually, because I wanted to buy him. Because he
0: had a, what
3: was it? He had a blog called, or he had a, um, a, Website. Well, a newsletter. newsletter It was a newsletter you had to subscribe 1100 Pennsylvania. 1, Pennsylvania Which basically charted The comings and goings And you know his, He'd follow Instagram With microscopic accounts. detail Microscopic detail and, and like he's a good Investigative reporter And like he checked documents It was a great one stop shop So like I actually said in the book You think I actually saw Marco Rubio's wife Eating a Eating a salad At the BLT No Zach took a picture <laughs> Zach found it on Instagram So yes. uh, you know Shout out to Zach Great guy You should totally Have him on the takeout
0: And It's important because it was the Trump place of business. Absolutely. It was a business. It raised its rates when Trump would call people to Washington. It made money off his own fame, fortune, and presidency. Yes. In a way
3: that I don't want to be uh, naive about this. Uh, we hadn't seen before, right? We had never <laughs> seen this before. Um, let's see the Obama International Hotel, the <laughs> George W. Bush Hotel, no. the golf Jimmy Carter, no. But, no, no, Ronald it was Reagan and Hotel. And by the way, he's keeping track. Like he was very pleased when Congress, congressional candidates so and so, were spending, you know, fifty thousand dollars a funder, you on had a it fundraiser, there. just you're like they're doing now there. at right. Mar-a-Lago. Like yeah. your like your campaign committee will, you know, if you'll. you'll, you'll so this goes of. to another thing
0: that I want to talk to you about, which is this orientation the former president has to those who support him. Mm-hmm. Because you've heard it, I've heard it. Yeah. We we have this dialogue, and we say this is really troubling. This is unprecedented. It violates everything that's normative about the presidency. Yeah. And they would say, "Good. Right. He's smarter than all you other jerks. He's yep. get. He's making it. He made his name. He won the presidency. Yeah. F
3: you. Yep. Absolutely. To show how it's smart. proof." It's proof. It's Absolutely. proof of concept for them. Proof of concept. You know, he like yeah, He's he, the wise guy. You're the dummies. Yeah, you guys all like gave, you know showed up showed them your tax returns. Why? Like why would you do that? I'm very smart. Why did you fall for I don't all pay that? any taxes because I'm very smart. Not because I'm dishonest, not because I'm inscrupulous, it's because I'm smart. You and know?
0: is part of that a deeper Accounting that Washington journalism for the last 20 years has to come to grips with? Because if you tell the country this city sucks, it's full of grifters and hypocrites and phonies yeah. and, and shysters who are just trying to take you to the cleaners and you don't know it, yeah. Trump comes along and says, guess what, it's all true, and I'm going to fix it."
3: Yeah,
2: I
0: is mean- there some level of accounting that the kleptocracy of the intelli- intelligentsia here have to come to grips with?
3: I mean, maybe. I don't think we're wrong, though. <laughs> right. I mean, if that's what the country... I mean, look, it, it's, it sounds disdainful to say, but I mean, here's, my, here's what gives me hope. Um, we don't, have not seen much proof that that model works for anyone other than Trump. Right. Okay? Like, Republicans, when Trump has not been on the ballot, whether it's in special elections or the midterm election, um, at least during his presidency, have not done well. Okay, people trying to be like getting away with whatever they get away with, you know, it hasn't worked. So maybe Trump is a one-off in that way. Like we'll see if you know if Herschel Walker can get elected, we'll, or if Eric Greitens can get the nomination and get elected in Missouri. I mean, mm-hmm. that's you know, who knows? Remains to be seen. So
0: you at near the end of the book, anonymously quote a congressman who's a Republican who mm-hmm. said, "Our plan." Speaking of the party, yeah. About this whole thing you just laid out is that he dies. That's we'll the wait.
3: plan. Yeah. They have no other plan. I mean, it's like they, are Republicans. What did you think when you heard that? I'd heard it before, actually. Okay. That's like there have been like some, actually, pretty Trumpy, but then non-Trumpy people who have said that. I mean, who have pretty big followings on like on social media, pretty well known. Um, you know, I think it goes to just how passive they are. They're waiting for some intervention that will solve their problem for them. They have no agency. It's like they need a divine or, inter- spine. or spine. But they need like God to come in and like, you know, take care of their problem or or you know, a heart attack, whatever, you know, whatever you believe.
0: As was said in a completely different context, hope is not a strategy.
3: No, it's not or that. <laughs> no, it's it's true, but no, it's like so Liz Cheney said this to me and it's 100% true. You know, the problem I have is, is I mean, if you're like Kevin McCarthy, you're going to go all in with Trump, and we all see what that's about. But it's the bystanders. Like Mitch McConnell, this is what she said, is a bystander. He's just waiting for the problem to take care of itself. He's not going to do anything to right. impeach him or to convict him. He wants to, but he's like, we're going to let the Democrats take care of this. And, of course, they can't. You know, he could help, but he's a by- he's chosen to be a bystander. And a bystander at a pivotal moment in American history— Will not age well, I don't believe. I would hope not. I mean, who knows how history will be adjudicated, but I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I, I think, you know, it will probably send a really. S- sad. I mean, I mentioned at the top that it would be better to read this history to live it,
0: but you and I are living it. Everyone all are. Who's here is it's living it, everyone and everyone here has a choice. You know, and back to where we started. If you say you don't have a choice, guess what? You don't have choices, but that's not true. Everybody not true. has a choice.
3: And this is why I'm very happy that. Liz Cheney is so conservative. Her voting record is so in line with Trump. Because they can't just say, oh, it's a liberal thing. Right. I mean, right. I've had more common cause with conservatives. And whether you've
0: watched the January 6th hearings or not, just go through the list of witnesses. 95%
3: Republicans. Percent
0: Republicans yeah. I would say 90% Trump-serving Republicans. And I'm Major Garrett. All the takeout. Indeed, exactly. everyone does. 100%. We need to say farewell to our radio audience for those on podcast platforms and uh, watching so closely on CBS News Streaming. Stay tuned for the takeout outtake, of i made you get. We'll see you next week.
1: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are.
2: From CBS
0: News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett McIntyre's, our host Restaurant. Always great to be here. Mark Leibovich, our special guest. The book, thank you for your servitude. One of the themes in the book is about two funerals. One for John McCain, one for George Herbert Walker Bush. And in this town, the book that preceded this one, you sort of take Washington funerals very much to task as a place in which a lot of puffery and I'm here, therefore I'm relevant. My relevance makes this funeral a thing. Right. But it seemed to me what you were describing in both of these funerals were all of that true, but they were also official Washington's way of grousing and rejecting Trumpianism in a kind of
3: absolutely ornamental way. Yeah, I mean, look, I, funerals are... I mean, funerals are, uh, I think, extremely great window into a culture, right? Mm-hmm. I, I First of all, I really love a good funeral, meaning that I learn a lot about the departed, I learn a lot about the living, I learn about life. I mean, I find it very enriching, no matter what the tradition mm-hmm. or context. But, yeah, I mean... Tim Russert's funeral, which was the first scene in this town, was uh, a cocktail party. So that was the scene. It was like people, (laughs) business cards were flying around. It was a place to (laughs) see and be seen. Right. And so... That you were
0: there meant something.
3: That I was there, yes, exactly. People were fighting for seats. John McCain's funeral was very much... I mean, first of all, McCain himself choreographed it. He had Obama and Bush... um, give two of the eulogies both of whom he lost very bitter elections to he made a point of making sure Trump was not invited mm-hmm. it was a big middle finger to, to Trump and you know that was quite a scene too and a lot of people in the press were saying okay this is a message from the old one. and it kind of was I mm-hmm. mean everyone was there same with Bush. I mean, Trump actually did go to Bush forty ones, and it was awkward. Like he had the Hillary death stare. You know, Michelle Obama could barely look at him. You know, I mean, it was very. It was. It was Capital quite. Capital awkward. Uh, it was really quite a thing to see. But no, I mean, I do think that, like, you know, this is not by design. But I think you can learn a lot about a culture by sort of de- deconstructing the funeral. Uh, scene a little bit. No doubt. So, as you might remember,
0: we have the three threshold questions here in the Takeout Outtake special. I want to update them in case you wish to. So, most influential book in your life, all-time favorite movie, Long Drive, Long Flight, what kind of music do you listen to? And I'm going to add to that something that you have streamed recently that you really dug. Okay. Okay.
3: Good. Okay. So, what's the first one?
0: Most influential book in your life.
3: Uh... Um, I'll just say What It Takes loved mm-hmm. What It Takes it, it sort of opened my eyes when I read it to like wow that's possible you can actually do that mm-hmm. of course you can because uh, there's only one Richard Ben Kramer Richard but Ben it. Kramer yeah. yeah
0: the great thing about that book it's uh, 19 88 Presidential Campaign. Is, yeah. That book came out in the summer of 1992.
3: Amazing, right? Four years of research, brilliant writing. Keep, it is the seminal work. Keep telling my editor, I need another four years, uh, but it, it never flies. It is the seminal it's work. It's a great work. Amazing. It really is spectacular in every way. Absolutely.
0: Favorite movie, or one of your favorite movies. And uh, the way to think about that, you're scrolling through and you
3: and you see it and you stop. Diner. Diner. Yeah. Barry Levinson. Loved it. Baltimore. Baltimore. Yep. yep. I saw it like a million times. I haven't seen it in a while, but I love that movie. Very good. Music. You mean on the long drive?
0: Yeah, or long um, flight. Yeah. I, you know what? Something you're really going to just jump into with Here's both Here's what feet. I like.
3: I like a rental car with 10 buttons set all with Sirius XM. Mix it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Flip around if you're really... I, I like... I don't. Mm, I don't... I can't do one artist. I can't even do three artists. I need... I need, like, the serendipity mm-hmm. of finding stuff. So that's Do you like randomness? Love randomness. Unpredictability. I miss the serendipity that the, old, the previous media right, culture that, afforded. that
0: in an other era, yeah. in big markets, yeah. the top FM DJ would right? put together a set, I, right. and people would applaud the set from their cars. Love. Between serious. commercial breaks. Love the set. Like, here. how did you put five those five songs right? together, and why?
3: Yeah, and yeah, radio is just in a bad place as far as over the air. Love the love the satellite. What have you streamed recently that you have totally gotten into? Yeah, Yellow Jackets. Okay. You haven't seen Yellow Jackets on Showtime? Heard oh, about it. Oh, boy, is that dark. It is so well done.
0: Fitting for our times, in other words.
3: Uh, in a weird way. It's just not the kind of thing I would normally watch, but, boy, is it well done. Christina Ricci, uh, uh, Juliette Lewis, phenomenal. Highly you recommend. heard
0: it from Mark Leibovich. Yes.
3: Yellow Jackets
0: and lots of other cool things. Lots it's been of a pleasure. Cool. Mark Leibovich, always great to hang out with you.
3: Major, it's great to be back on The Takeout.
0: Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week. I'm Major Garrett from McIntyre's. See ya. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook,
2: Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout
0: is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, Tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com/survey